Here we are, Locked On NFL, alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. This Thursday episode, our guest today, Travis Wingfield. He is the host of Locked On Dolphins, a tankathon happening in Miami. I'm very interested to hear how that's being received by Dolphins fans. We will get into Thursday Night Football, Patriots and Giants as well, and talk some draft here with Travis, who started doing his homework there early this season. So to begin, Travis, and thanks for joining the show, is this truly a tank? Or is this just really shrewd and smart by the Miami front office? I would argue a little bit of both. I mean, the way they structured this roster, I think it's pretty clear that they didn't have any intentions of trying to win football games this year. But at the same time, they're not going into games with a plan that is devised with the attempt to try to find a way to lose each individual game. They're just not very good. I mean, they're playing at a level right now that we frankly have never seen before in the National Football League through four games and I think that that was by design. And a, a big part of that was maybe that they did start that way in the offseason back in March and April. And then once we got to August and maybe they realized, okay, this is pretty bad. We can't get Jadavian Clowney. He doesn't want to come here. Okay, let's go ahead and just gut this thing and get as much resources as we can. And thankfully for you know Dolphins fans everywhere, they did cash out good premium resources on those guys they did sell off. So it has been the plan, but they're not trying to lose games. They just are a very, very bad football team. <laughs> but is this the week? I, I really don't think so because <laughs> you, you, you get the, it's almost the Dan Campbell jump we're getting in Washington right now, I feel like. And plus, you know, folks think that, the, that Washington or Cincinnati are, are, you know, challenging Miami. But I go back to these statistics where it's not even close, Matt and Brian. Like it's the it's Dolphins. It's not even close. Points given up, points. I mean, they haven't surpassed 10 points in a game yet. They're averaging like six points per game. They don't function at a, at a professional football level right now, and it's it's not close. It really isn't. No, I've been saying, like, my Steelers have a bye, and then they have the Dolphins. The Bills have a bye, and then the Dolphins. I'm like, what an advantage to have two byes in a row. I mean, there's 31 teams in the league right now. There really is. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. There was one interesting game to me. It was the first half against a then-unbeaten Dallas Cowboys team, and Josh Rosen was playing in that game. He was making good throws getting no help. The Dolphins should have led at halftime, at least, of that game. And so I thought, oh, maybe there's a little hope here. Maybe Josh Rosen you know, can get a little something going here. I'm interested to hear your take on Josh Rosen, who has now been named the starter for the rest of the season. Could he do anything to be the guy in Miami? And what's your opinion on him now for the short time he's been starting for the Dolphins? Yeah, so those last two games, he actually opened up the 15-play script without throwing an incomplete pass. So I think that's probably more of a nod to Chad O'Shea and the offensive scheme they want to run here. You mentioned the drop passes. It's been kind of a comedy of errors in terms of when things seem to pop up. Like, he finally makes a good play, and then Preston Williams can't hang on. But as far as Josh Rosen's evaluation, the only thing that he can do to really give himself a, a hope for the future here in Miami is to just win games and get them off that first pick because I do think they are going to use their first draft pick on a quarterback, whether it's Tua, whether it's Fromm or Herbert or whoever you like. I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a second. But yes. the only way they're gonna, that he's going to get them off that first pick and the all-in tank for Tagovailoa is if they win enough games. And I don't think he can do that because of the circumstances that we had mentioned. Now, you talked about how they were close in that Cowboys game and they were against the Chargers as well a couple of weeks ago. That kind of alluded to a funny little anecdote here because I think that teams are approaching the Dolphins as if they are kind of an extra bye week because they just don't really have to put that much in as far as showing you like, you know, extensive plans or ways that they're going to 
unveil a new scheme or a new plan that they want to do to, you know, really kind of trick somebody down the line. They're holding all that stuff back and running very basic concepts. And that's kind of what the Dolphins have done to hang in games. And then once teams realize, okay, we we're in a football game now, that's when it all kind of changes. So Rosen, it's a impossible circumstances, but still in isolation. I don't really think that he has been really a solution to any of these problems. And so that's where I'm like, if, if his ceiling at best is at like top 15, top 12 quarterback, then let's go ahead and go into the draft and get a guy that maybe can be, you know, a top five quarterback down the line. All really well said. I mean, I liked Rosen coming out of school. I thought last year was an impossible situation for him, and that's nothing compared to what he's dealing with now. Um, that being said, though, I mean, even if they pick first, which I think they will, and that's Tua and great, I don't know that I would trade Rosen to the Bengals or Redskins or somebody for a third-round pick again. I mean, I think he has value just to keep him around and see what happens, even if it's a number two. Yeah, I completely agree. And because you talk about the value of backup quarterbacks, which I think we've seen as well as any year this year in particular, and Rosen only makes, you know, a couple million bucks a year. That was part of the the sweetener for that deal was that the Cardinals paid his initial signing bonus, which pretty much the entire rookie contract gets paid out in the first year for the most part on those first round deals. And so I think that he offers way more value to Miami than like you mentioned, Matt, like a third round pick. Now, if somebody wants to come up and give a top 50 pick, then I would entertain it. Sure, sure. I mean, we got to talk draft for sure, and I'm interested to hear your take on quarterbacks. And I just was looking at your Twitter timeline, and about an hour before joining the call, you had uh, tweeted out the the games to watch this weekend on the college (laughs) football slate. So I fully understand where Miami Dolphins fans are at right now, and the draft watch that's happening very early for you there on the podcast. But... Josh Rosen aside, looking at the current Miami Dolphins roster after trading away guys like Larry Tunsil and Mika Fitzpatrick, were, who were the best young cornerstones for that franchise, is there anybody left who is around that can be a piece that the Dolphins can build on going forward? That's been one of the more concerning aspects of the early going. Is If you're trying to you know find silver linings, which they're few and far between, but one of the things you want to look at is how are guys like Xavier Howard, for instance, performing or Jerome Baker, who wasn't as proven as Xavier Howard is, but he had a lot of expectations kind of heaped on him this offseason. And he has been really, for lack of a better term, just awful. He's been really <laughs> bad through the first four games. And Xavier Howard's had two bad games in a row as well. So the concerning part is those building blocks that we are supposed to be relying on <laughs> haven't been very good. Um, I think if you want to look at one silver lining, Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins on the interior now, there are, they're allowing you know a million rushing yards per game. All the stats go up against them. But some individual reps between Godshaw and Wilkins have been very impressive in the way they control the line of scrimmage and they kind of lock out in that two-gap, the two-gap scheme they want to run here in Miami. So I've been impressed with them. And then linebacker Raquan McMillan has been excellent against the run. I think he's like pro football focuses number two overall linebacker right now. So he's playing well in a more limited role than what he did last year. Well, that's something at least. I mean, I, I look at the offense and think Drake, Gasecki, I could kind of take or leave, but they're not horrible. At least they have upside. But their top three receivers are NFL receivers. I mean, I, I'm, the bar's pretty low here. Yeah, it's, it, well, that's, <laughs> it's it's interesting because a lot of folks thought that, like, or Dolphins fans maybe thought that this was like a top 20 or 15 receiving core. And my point was always, with Kenny Stills, they had at least stability at the top. But now that he's gone, and Preston Williams is impressive in the way he can yeah. create separation, and, and and it's just the hands have been an issue. He's dropped so many passes. And Devontae Parker pretty much is who he always has been. 
The one upside with him this year is he's been healthy. And then Jakeem Grant has been the ultimate tease for Dolphins fans. We all kind of expect him to have, you know, these explosive plays, and they just aren't happening. And so there's no real explosion. Albert Wilson's still hurt, and I don't know how well he's ever going to come back from that really bad hip injury. And then you've got Parker and Williams, who I think one of those guys has a future here. One of them does not. But there's just no high-end talent. It's okay for depth. But as far as playmaking ability, they're, they got to remake that receiver room too. That's, that's pretty much the case for the entire roster. Everything's got to be remade. The offensive line, the worst spot, though. I think it's it the worst in the history of football, Matt. It's, <laughs> it is, it, it's so bad. Oh. It's so bad. They do anything. And they've had to shuffle guys around. They're going to shuffle again this week. When they lost Jesse Davis and had to kick Michael Dieter out to left tackle, I actually like Michael Dieter. I thought he he's was a really good guy. Pick. Yeah, and yeah, they right. kick him out there, and he just he his kicks. He played left tackle at Wisconsin for a few games, but you wouldn't know it by his kick slide. He, I mean, he can't get out there and cover that depth. And so when you lose one guy on a historically bad offensive line, uh, we're talking some real problems back there. <laughs> All right, we've got to get into the draft, maybe look ahead for the Dolphins, which is a rosier picture, I think, than what's going on currently. More with Travis Wingfield after this. This podcast is brought to you in part by Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help get you to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout and receive a discount of up to $100. Travis, if you're going to truly you know, tank and, and it's got to work for you, then everyone's got to buy in from ownership to general manager Chris Greer, head coach Brian Flores. Do you get the feeling that there's enough job security to pull this off in the NFL with how quickly jobs turn over and guys get fired and one and dones around the league? Yeah, I think they'll get this year as kind of like a fallback plan. And that was one of the things that Brian Flores mentioned when he took the job. And, you know, you can take coaches speak for, you know, value or if it's phony, whatever you want to do. But he did say that he's had coaching interviews before and he went into this whole process saying, like, I'm in no hurry to leave New England. And why would you be? And, you know, go ahead and stack up some more championships and just continue to build your own value. And he said the only reason the only way that he was going to leave that situation was if he was in full lockstep with a, a regime or an organization. And apparently he was with this Miami plan. And this has been the plan for the most part. Like I, we talked about in the first segment, I think they initially thought maybe we can win, you know, five or six games and not be a laughing stock and use all this draft capital to go ahead and trade up. But then some circumstances unfolded in August that brought their roster a little bit more depleted. And so they took this kind of, let's just go all in approach and kind of cut off all the remaining talent on our roster so I think that Flores gets this year and Chris Greer gets this year. And then the biggest offseason, frankly, in team history, as far as I'm concerned, this coming you know, March and April. And then I think 2020 will have severe expectations and consequences if they don't meet those expectations. And I'm not talking like playoffs, but get back to you know six or seven, eight type of wins because Stephen Ross, for as much patience as he's shown this year, he's not a patient owner by nature. So I think that 2020 will be when they really get evaluated. Travis, I got to hit one a little bit close to home. I love the Minka Fitzpatrick trade for the Steelers. And it's obviously that pick looks like it's earlier than I expected it to be. But if you look at the Steelers' upcoming schedule, boy, they've got a lot of cupcakes. So you're going to be rooting against the Steelers, of course. But there's some bad teams on that schedule, including the Dolphins. So let's say you end up getting pick 12 in return for Minka. Are you on board with that? I mean, as a Steelers perspective, I am, and I've been blown away with how good he's been. Yeah, he's excellent. And I, yeah. I really get annoyed by how Dolphins fans, or I think just football fans in general, can turn on a guy because he's not wearing your jersey anymore. 
And that really irks me because I've, I've spoken to Mika Fitzpatrick and he's a really cool kid. Really, they love bright, him really. Yeah. yeah he's, yeah. he's the kind of football player you want in your, in your organization. I would at training camp, every time he made a play, he was clapping his hands and getting fired up. And I just think that's kind of lost in today's league where guys truly genuinely care about the result, like unanimously. So I, I'm excited to see a player like that when I see him. And I, I think that he was within his right to want to get out of Miami. So I don't fault him at all. But as far as the value they got back, you mentioned it, Matt. I mean, they made that trade when it was Mason Rudolph, which, you know, already was adverse circumstances for the Steelers, obviously a big drop-off from Big Ben. Mm-hmm. And now that it's Devlin Hodges for, you know, a game or however many games it'll be, you start thinking, okay, this could turn into a really premium pick, like you mentioned. So I think that that top 10 kind of line is where you draw in the sand. If it winds up in the top 10, it was a good deal. If it winds up beyond that, eh, maybe not so much. But also, you know, Minka didn't want to be here, so they had to try to find a way to maximize the, the the value they got for him, and I think they did a good job of doing that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, and I, I'm pretty much assured that in that draft class, the Steelers had Minka about their fifth overall prospect in that class. Yeah, he should have been gone long before he was there for yes. Miami. I thought yeah. between he and Derwin James, we hit the jackpot because they had a big safety need. I, I prefer Derwin personally, but, you know, it was A, a and B to me. So um, it, it was surprising he was there, but the Dolphins definitely got a good pick when he was on the board. I think 11 or 13. I think he was 11. Yeah. 11, yep. When you're building a culture in Miami, I think Brian Flores, that's going to be, you know, the, the first thing, and that's why you hire Brian Flores, is you start with the culture, you want to try to build a defense there and do things in the mold of what was happening with the New England Patriots right over the last 20 years and you probably need some time to do that, is it hard for a head coach to build a culture when maybe none of these 53 guys are even going to be on the roster in 2021? That's the, that's the, the cost of tanking, I think, as far as what the downside is. And you can, you can talk about tarnishing. You know, so I've seen some Dolphins fans say this tarnishes the undefeated season if they go 0-16. All those semantics don't matter to me, <laughs> but what it comes down to is how it, how it generates the locker room buzz and, and that camaraderie that you mentioned because – if you have guys that you know are on long-term contracts, like an Xavier Howard, how does he feel going into next year knowing that you just wasted one of his prime years of his career? It's a delicate situation. I think we've already seen the cost of it in terms of Minka Fitzpatrick wanting to leave or you know getting rid of a Laramie Tunzel. Now the rest of the offensive line's like, well, now we can't do much because our best guy is no longer here. So I think it is a very tricky and risky proposition. But at, like you mentioned, they are going to overturn so much of this roster next year. They've already done it, you know, 50% from last year. I think by the time we get to 2020, you're going to have almost no holdovers from the Adam Gaze regime, which is almost insane just in two years, even in a league where turnover is so prevalent. But I think that, you know, it's it, the the cost, you, the risk you run is, is losing some guys. And I think they've already had that experience with Fitzpatrick and, and maybe it'll happen more going forward. But right now, it's it's hard to argue with it because this team is going nowhere fast. And I'm just, as a Dolphins fan for the last 20 years, to me, it's it's way more exciting thinking about, you know, a possible promising future over the promise of like a seven or eight win season. Two questions for you about the upcoming offseason. And obviously that's where Dolphin fans are going to be focused. Do they have a lot of cap space? And do you think free agents will want to come to Miami? I don't know. I mean, it, I think that's weird, right? Yeah. Free agency is so tricky. And Matt, you could probably speak on this better than I can. There was a great piece from Albert Breer. I think it was a couple of years ago where he mentioned that free agency is, you know, there's all these tampering rules, but it's happening right now. Like agents are kind of 
plotting their move and finding out where the available you know, cash might be or the scheme fits. And guys tend to move around based upon what makes them comfortable. Now, don't get me wrong, money talks. But when you have success in a program or in a scheme, you tend to want to stay in that because that's why football is so volatile. You get guys that move teams and move schemes, and all of a sudden they're not the same player. And we wonder why is he not doing the same stuff he was doing in the previous city. So I think you might go after an approach where you attack guys that can play this two-gap style scheme. You have all these dime defensive packages the Dolphins want to run with Brian Flores. You know, defensive backs that can come down and cover as well as play single high or too deep if you're a safety and just kind of this positionless defense. So I think they're going to be more in on what the scheme fits are, not going after the top of the market in free agency necessarily, save some of that money and, and just continue to push it down the road. But as far as guys that want to come here, come to Miami, it's. I, I wish I had an answer for you, but I yeah, think it's no. a risk you certainly run. I, I, I can see why you no. wouldn't want to go to a team that, you know, voluntarily lost every game this year. Travis, for those listeners and myself who have lost track, can you remind everybody, following all the trades now, adding tons of draft capital, the stockpile that Miami has in the early rounds of the next two drafts? Oh, sure, yeah. It's, I've, I've had a hard time keeping track because they also dealt a bunch of conditional picks for backup offensive linemen and stuff, so I'm not even sure if I know, but as far as the top of the draft, they do have three picks this year. It's, it'll be their own, which is you know certified top five pick right now. Pittsburgh's pick, which right now I think lands at number five, and then Houston's pick is going to be in that mid to late 20s right now as it stands today. And then they have two second-round picks, their own, as well as the Saints, who are playing very well without Drew Brees, which is a bummer, And then well, for, for Dolphins fans. And, <laughs> and in 2021, they have two first-round picks, their own and the Texans, and then also two more second-round picks with their own and the Texans. Is Tua worth 1-1? I, I fully believe so, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah I, I just, the way he, the, the pro ready-made, or you know, he's ready-made for the professional game right now, in my opinion, with the way that he attacks space and he's always on time, and he's always on target, and I make this comparison a lot. You, you look at what Trevor Lawrence has in Clemson, and not to take anything away from him, but he oftentimes, when he gets a third and seven and gets a pressure look, he can just kind of throw up that takeoff pass to, to T. Higgins or to Justin Ross, and they're going to go up and they're going to they're gonna snatch it for him because that's what they do. But the Alabama receivers, even though they're the best in the country, like don't make any mistake about that. They are by far sure, the best receiving sure. core in the country. They rely on speed and separation, and a lot of that has to do with the timing and placement from Tua because he always has the ball in the correct window at the right time, on the right hip, on the right shoulder. And a lot of that comes from the consistent mechanics and the footwork that is just flawless, if you ask me. And his lower half setup is always aligned to his target and, and, and perfectly you know, in sync to what he needs to be doing. So I think that the accuracy and the placement and the, the wits that he has, because this year he's, he's not taking as many downfield shots He's taking what the defense gives him, and it, it kind of reminds me of Brady in that sense that he's just beating you before the snap, and then he finds the open guy, and by the time you get to him, it's a big yak play. So I think that he can elevate, and for lack of a better term here, uh, pardon the horrible pun, he can sort of rise the tide in Miami Ooh. and give you know the entire roster a big boost, whereas I'm not sure other quarterbacks offer that. I'm seeing that Travis. Miami Dolphins team poster, the rising tide with Tua on the front cover for the 2020 season there. I like that. Go ahead, Matt. It also might be a little insensitive since Miami's about to go under the ocean here in about 10 years, too. <laughs> well, that's another subject, yeah, for a different podcast, I think. Uh, Matt, go ahead. I think you had a question there. Yeah, Travis, I was wondering, we were planning on keeping you for two segments. You want to hang out for a third, and we'll just talk a little bit Giants-Patriots in that third segment, and I want to ask you about a couple more draft prospects. You got it. Let's do it. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course, you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? 
put that knowledge to use. If you're listening to this show, you're obviously a well-informed football fan. Make yourself a little cash with my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code locked on to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag. Today, you play, you win, you get paid. Travis, question for you. You know, I, I look at this pay or this Dolphins team, and Flores is the coach, and of course they're gonna pattern themselves after the Patriots. And wow, do they have a long way to go. But the Patriots never, ever have the the opportunity to draft a true edge-bender, dominant pass rusher. They're always picking 32, 31. You know, like those guys don't last. Chandler Jones is about the only one that even was close. So I know you love Tua, but would you consider a Chase Young or would you package those other two to get that one guy that this scheme never seems to have. And I'd like to actually, before you answer that, add to that scenario, say Rosen plays well enough that you're thinking, okay, let's see one more year of Rosen. Let's go huge edge player. Maybe even if the the Dolphins say you're drafting second and another team takes Tua for you uh, before you Mm -hmm. at 1.1. And then you say, okay, we've still got all these picks. Let's think about Trevor Lawrence in 2021 go edge here, build a little bit around him, draft some offensive linemen so our rookie's not getting killed right away. That's actually a really interesting way to pose that question because you you mentioned it, Matt, that the Patriots, they, they don't have the opportunity to go up Never. and get the top five pass rusher. And so maybe they adapt the scheme because of that, or maybe that's just a happy accident that they put their scheme in this way where the elite oh, pass rusher... I don't think there's any win. accidents going on up in New England. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're probably right. So, but as far as like what Chase Young can do, I mean... It's it's so it feels dumb to say almost that oh he's not the best scheme fit Miami but as far as what they they do with these pass rushers and they even cut off a lot of their their guys that were the best one on one pass rushers like for instance I thought Tank Carradine had a good preseason and he got cut from the roster in favor of guys like you know signing a Taco Charlton for instance off of the off of waivers so I, I think that he is going to be a star player wherever he goes but I think they might lean more towards like AJ Epinesa who is also a top ten edge rusher because he fits more in line sure. with the the two gap scheme and the in the better edge defender defender as far as the run goes but man chase young rushing the passer is definitely the best way to impact the game outside of the quarterback so if you do get josh rosen who just all of a sudden glows up and turns into a quarterback that really gives miami another you know another resource to the deck then i think you would you'd be foolish to not explore that because it, it's like Nick the Nick Bosa argument last year, right? Like he's so much better than everybody else in the class that right, right. It, it makes sense to go that direction. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't golf it. I, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't say no, that's not going to happen. But I just think that the way they're going to build these things, they do want to go more towards, you know, put the bodies in the secondary and the linebackers, get these rush backers and get these longer, stout, two gapping type of defensive ends that can hold the point and create rush lanes that way. If it wouldn't be too. Uh... You know, like the way Brian said, if you if you end up losing, you know, beating the Redskins and Tua goes one, and you're sitting two, or Tua gets hurt, or you know, you you pick the edge guy. Do you like 
Burrow? Do you like Herbert? I mean, these other dudes that could be the Steelers pick, the Texans pick, the first pick in the second round, possibly trade-ups. Is there a consolation prize, a quarterback that you would be happy with? Uh, there really isn't just because I think the fall off is, is pretty significant. Really? Like, it's, it's, it's one and then a, a deep two after that. But if I did go with a two, and part of that's because I'm just, I've been kind of turned off by the performances of like a Jordan Love this year, for instance, who's, he's had a really rough year and yeah. it's, it's tough circumstances out there for him at Utah State. But I do think that he has the highest upside of this class because he has some freaky potential in that arm and in that big frame of his. But Justin Herbert's kind of the same way too. I just don't buy the Justin Herbert hype train for reasons that I saw with Ryan Tannehill, for instance, where, you know, pressure situations got the best of him. He kind of had an instinct to run away from the, you know, not stand tall in the pocket and deliver the football and just kind of melts in these big primetime opportunities or road games. So I'm not as big on him either. I think Jake Fromm might be that QB2 for me right now. And Mm -hmm. it goes back to the same reasons that I think that two was a great fit in Miami because of that Patriots type of offense that Chad O'Shea wants to run, you know, the timing, the rhythm. And the cerebral with the yeah the, the processing standpoint of things right like you want to beat them pre-snap and I think Fromm does the best job of that of anybody not named Tua so he's my QB too but make no mistake there is a massive fall off for me I agree with Herbert and and I haven't done enough draft work yet so I'll definitely defer to you and with doing two podcasts a day here on the network it's been uh, rough for my family life and my personal life so Saturdays is the day that's really uh, taken over that's family day so I haven't gotten to watch enough college football and by the way big shout out to all the folks that do those cut-ups in the offseason of draft prospects because I'm going to hit those hard so they're doing God's work so I'm very excited to jump in to those uh, as we get later into the season and we will talk more draft on this show Um, but Herbert from what I have seen it's all there and I have a feeling he's going to interview well and he's going to go really high but I just there's something missing when I watch him play the few times I have on Saturdays where it's just there, there's something there. He's big. He's strong. He's got a good arm. He's smart. He talks a good game. He's athletic. He's going to go high, but there's just, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but there's definitely something missing there. And when uh, we got to preview this Thursday night game a little bit, you look at the Patriots quarterback, obviously, and the New York Giants quarterback, obviously. The number one key when you're drafting a quarterback, it's from the neck up. And I think that's what right now I'm seeing to uh, separate himself because the accuracy, the timing, the rhythm, getting the ball out before or as receivers are making their breaks, those are the things that are impressing me right now. I, I couldn't agree more with you on that, uh, Brian. And, and you, if a uh, quick shameless plug for myself here, I do the quarterback college scouting roundup every Saturday where I look at the top five or six guys, and it's, it's Tua, it's Fromm, it's Herbert, it's Love, and I added Joe Burrow to that as well. So hmm. I'm looking at all those guys and taking little videos with my camera, you know, my iPhone, so it's it's uh it's pretty it's pretty quick and to the point. But if you guys want to check that out, you're definitely welcome to do that on LockedOnDolphins.com. But yeah, Justin Herbert, you go back to like the Auburn game for instance, and th- there was a play in that game where I think everybody was kind of impressed by it in the first half, where he threw up a a prayer of a touchdown that it got hauled in, and it was under you know severe duress, but he just kind of threw like a prayer ball, and I was thinking that's not really the type of quarterbacking I want to see where. I want to have him be able to recognize what the rush is going to do before the snap and get that thing out and, and go in behind the blitz like a Tom Brady would, for instance, where if you blitz Brady, you're, you're done, you're toast. And I, I, I don't see it in Herbert. I don't see the quick processing. I see him often being late and throwing guys into collisions and that type of stuff. And that's kind of what I get with Josh Rosen as well is it's, it's not clicking for him cerebrally before the snap. There was a, a great comment from Rosen 
at training camp where he said, I've actually never had to ID a middle linebacker before. And that was, wow. That was mind blowing to me because like you played professional football last year. What were you doing? Like, I, I didn't get <laughs> what that. They do in Arizona, <laughs> yeah. Which kind of speaks to how bad the, the Arizona situation was last year, but um, he's doing it now. And, and there's, there's so many examples. I, I chart his passes every week and there's so many examples where he's just late. It's like the guy's coming back down the stem or the guy's, you know, breaking off his route at the top of the stem and he's he's now seeing it and then okay now i'm gonna throw it rather than you know i anticipate this and i Mm -hmm. trust my eyes so i throw it ahead of time and that beat late is as you guys know is all it takes in the nfl from being great to being horrible so uh, that's what i see with with rosen i see a lot of those same traits in justin herbert too Looking at this Thursday night football game, obviously there's not a ton to break down as far as, you know, picking a winner and a loser here. New England's favored by 17 points for a reason. They're at home facing the Giants. Giants have looked better with Daniel Jones at quarterback. Still don't have Saquon. They're banged up with their receivers as well. So I want to put it to both of you guys. And Travis, you've already seen the Patriots. You you see the Patriots multiple times per season. They haven't played a lot of good football teams yet this season. Is there something you see with the Patriots be like, okay, this is something that could really be a problem for them down the road when they start playing some better competition and into the playoffs? Yeah, I was actually watching the the Washington New England tape from from this last week trying to find ways to convince myself the Dolphins weren't going to mess it up and win a game. <laughs> and and one of the things that I, I noticed was they can create pressure with those front 3 between uh, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and and uh, Tim Settle and they gave the Patriots problems up front and right now that offensive line's kind of is reeling a little bit with some injuries and trying to get some guys replaced up front. So I think that that's an area where they're vulnerable. Now, can the Giants take advantage of that? I would venture to say no, but if there's one area you can really kind of dissect the Patriots team, it's probably that offensive line. Real quick notes on tonight's game. It's all I really have for tonight is along those lines, I do think the Patriots are searching on offense. I mean, that they don't have their formula yet. And Brady's obviously the, you know, the best deodorant for that, as is his schedule. They're working things out. But I would think that it might be a lot of Sony Michelle. They re-sign, They got a new fullback. I think it might be more power football. And the other thing I really want to pay attention to tonight is, and for those who don't know, Shepard, Ingram, Gallman, Barkley, none of those guys are playing. So Daniel Jones is going to have a very difficult challenge. I just want to watch his body language. You know, does he – is he still cool? Is he still happy to be there? Is he hanging his head? Uh, that's what I really want to see because I think he's going to get pummeled. I mean, that's the best defense in the league. He's not going to. He's going to have a really hard time. But I want to see how he handles it. You know, from his body language. Can I make a quick point right right there, yeah, real quick, sure. and just let you know how nice it must be to be searching for your identity on offense and still be five and zero. Right, right. I mean, that's a, <laughs> it's a major thing to be. I know. I've been dealing with it for twenty years. They they ruined my Sunday every every Sunday for twenty years. But yeah, you mentioned the the Giants just being shorthanded. It seems like there's there's been more massive point spreads in the NFL this year than any other year I, I can ever recall. And well, most of falls. it your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, where'd the parody go? There's so many haves and have-nots right now in the NFL. Right. It's really something we haven't seen in a while. Guys, uh, we're out of time here. we got to cut it off. Thank you so much, Travis, for joining the podcast one of the Locked On Podcast Network's best. Go to LockedOnDolphins.com. Aside from Dolphins coverage, he has dipped into the NFL draft very early here, and you can find him on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Travis, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Friday, we will preview the rest of the Week 6 schedule right here, Locked On NFL.